Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Exploring how we can master ourselves by looking at how experts say it is possible with your host, Shashati. Welcome to episode 37 of How to Be with me, Shashiti, as your timid presenter, guiding you through life's tricky skills by taking this learning journey with you. This week I was surprised to come across Intentional Living as its own Wikipedia page, which defines it as any lifestyle based on an individual or group's conscious attempts to live according to their values and beliefs. So I got to thinking, am I actually living intentionally and why is it important? Hence, I spoke to author Heidi Barr, who wrote 12 Tiny Things, Simple Ways to Live a More Intentional Life alongside her co-author, Ellie Rocher. Barr is a wellness coach, committed to cultivating ways of being that are life-giving and sustainable for people, communities and the planet. She is the author of Cold Spring Hallelujah, What Comes Next, Woodland Manitou to Be on Earth, and Prairie Grown, Stories and Recipes from a South Dakota Hillside. We spoke earlier this week, so you can find the full interview on www.howtobe247.com or on the YouTube channel. But here's a snippet on the importance of paying attention to sensuality. One, as you read in the book, um, the figuring out what you want to drink first thing in the morning, tapping, tuning in to what your body truly wants. That was really helpful for me to explore that. Um, Cause I had always been a coffee drinker, you know, first thing turn on the coffee, drink a few cups, you know, hardly any water before noon. Um, but since we started thinking about that, I, I took to drinking a glass of lukewarm water first thing in the morning before I had any coffee. And that really has helped, you know, helped me start my day on a much more positive note. <laughs> um, so I think just trying to pay attention to how your body is feeling, how you are being, how you, being present in your body. Um, and I think too, being on technology all the time, it's easy to get stuck in your head and forget that, okay, there is something below my neck that, that I need to pay attention to um, in more ways than just, you know, what it looks like. How do you feel in your body? I think that is a huge part of sensuality. You know, for women, especially a lot of times we put aside how we feel like that doesn't matter. What do I want? Oh, that's on the back burner. You know, we, for, we forget to prioritize those things. So putting that at the front of your mind at the beginning of the day can, can shift things a little bit. The authors say we cannot prevent the chaos of the world. We can adapt ourselves to better cope with ever-changing circumstances and through doing so bring about increased groundedness and fulfillment. 
By boiling down our thoughts, emotions and behaviours to their roots, by looking at subjects like home, space, food and spirituality, these tiny practices become essential for self-care. That way, we don't have to become overwhelmed with trying to fix the world because we can start with tiny steps with ourselves. While using the book, they recommend being gentle with yourself, honour your experience by being vulnerable and accepting support, be flexible in order to manoeuvre through changes, figure out what inspires action and drives your choices, i.e. knowing your why, take small steps, Embrace courage and not fearlessness, because in reality no one is fearless. Own your discomfort while making changes. Starting with space, they say in the midst of a chaotic moment, we can stop and take a breath, creating space. We overfill our lives, hoping more will make us feel like we are enough, but it takes courage to say no. When we prioritise creating space, we can clearly see how saying no to some things is saying yes to others. Carving out space in life is saying yes to our truest selves. Hence, they recommend to say no to something and once a day intentionally look up. Take in the vastness of the universe and feel the space holding you. Next is bringing intention in work. There is joy in recognising that life is more than what we see or even what we do on the surface. It is how we are showing up that matters at the end of the day. It is about being present both inside and outside of work by fully focusing on one or the other. Which is why Barr and Rocher says to spend some time in analogue, away from screens before reaching for your phone. Spirituality is in the noticing. Attention to earth, fire, wind, water, space. Attention to the connection we feel to the earth and other creatures. When we feel adrift, it's an invitation back to attention, back to devotion. And it doesn't necessarily mean religion, but looking towards something bigger than yourself and keeping rituals to honour your small existence within the universe. Through grounding yourself and repetitive practices such as breathing intentionally, Bar and Rocher says you can enjoy the vastness around you. Staying mindful of the essential gift of food roots us as well. Bar claims it's alchemy to be able to put together a few simple ingredients to nourish the soul and body. Food helps communities root and grow too, There is a certain magic in sharing food, especially food that was mindfully grown and prepared. To cook and share is deeply human. When we share that process of transformation with others, we're part of the cycle of life. We can choose with intention what we eat, how we prepare it and how it is shared. Conscientious cooking helps build a better food system for all. To make the most of it, they recommend eating a meal mindfully, remembering the magic that is food. We can't deny that humans are drawn to beauty. People living in a way that celebrates style are practicing an alignment of the inner and outer selves that others recognize and appreciate. It's not about spending. It's about cultivating a style to be aware of self and surroundings. Knowing our style can help us be responsible consumers as a result instead of buying anything and everything. This is where minimalism can be effective if you call episode 35. Similar to spirituality, nature invites us back into the interconnectedness of our ecosystem. The authors say we are part of something bigger, cleverer and more beautiful than any single organism. For example, dirt calms us, giving us essential microbes, and the sun awakens us, giving us vitamin D. Fresh air, movement and connection with nature have been proven by numerous studies to improve mood, even if we opt to go outside begrudgingly. 
hence they suggest making wonder a part of your exploration. Notice the beauty that pierces the ordinary days. There is healing in rooting in nature, apparently, so stop and look around, otherwise you may miss it. Healthy communication also fosters seeing and being seen. Technology has the potential to build relationships and connections in ways we've never before dared to dream. If we're intentional in our use of it, we can set boundaries so that technology enhances and deepens our lives instead of distracting us from the good stuff. Research does show, however, that people who can totally unplug from time to time tend to do better in life. Striving to communicate with integrity, committing to seeing and being seen, is a slow art that requires vulnerability brings dignity and fosters healthy community. The authors say to handwrite a letter to someone close to you to have more meaningful communications. Intentionally acknowledging those things for which we are grateful in our current lives can apparently create the foundation to live from a place of spaciousness. We can build a sense of grateful astonishment in the house or apartment or body that is our home. As they say, home is where the heart is. Barr and Rocher also add practicing sensuality is acknowledging our human need for intimacy and pursuing it joyfully. Rooted in self and reaching towards pleasure, our beings take up space with ease and grace, enjoying the moment wholeheartedly. When we can tap into what truly satisfies desire, and when we can give in to the vulnerability that comes along with that, we're taking up space in a way that serves our needs, and consequently the needs of those we love. So what does it feel like to drink that morning coffee? Creativity requires loyalty to the inner self, away from the interruptions of ordinary life. Engaging in creativity renews our sense of personhood, alters our perspective, and helps us get in touch with the profound nature of ourselves. Just start, they say. Remember how it feels to create. We can also recognise the power of learning, and learning from failure, apparently. The capacity to recover quickly helps cultivate self-efficacy and grit. When we can get up after a fall, we have deepened our roots, but we can also use learning to play with our limits to see if we can make room for growth. So try something out to learn. We also have a tendency to go inwards to try and make things better, such as with self-help books, ironically. But happiness research tells us that our happiness and well-being is closely linked to the strength of our relationships to friends, family and neighbours. Embracing vulnerability allows us to be part of the give and take that defines being in community with the world. Barn Rocher says to introduce yourself to your neighbours. Our next book is from author Shauna Nyquist with Present Over Perfect, leaving behind frantic for a simpler, more soulful way of living. Here she is at the Edge Mentoring Conference in 2018. A moment a couple years ago where essentially, you know, every once in a while you have the opportunity to sort of look outside yourself and, and, and you look at your life with a little bit of clarity, and if, if you had asked me during that season, like, what matters to you? What are you about? Why do you do what you do? Um, I would have said, like, you know what I'm about? I'm about family, about my faith, I'm about connection and warmth and deep and meaningful relationships. I'm about life around the table and storytelling and being with each other in meaningful and unrushed ways. But if you asked my calendar, it it would have told you a really different truth, and it would have said, this girl hustles. Um, I was traveling, um, there were years when I spoke 100 times a year, um, where I would do 55 events in a season, where I spent most of my life in 
airports and on planes and in green rooms and in hotels. And um, I was fast and I was productive, but I was not happy and I was not connected to my own solar spirit, to God's spirit living within me, or to the people that I really most wanted to invest in. And so there was a moment of clarity and pain when I realized the values that I say with my mouth, I'm not living out with my body and with my calendar. And it's time to shore up that discrepancy. The author takes you on a guided journey to embracing peace in a chaotic world. Nyquist identifies three common signs that indicate you might be leading a lackluster life. Number one, despite being busy, you don't feel fulfilled. Number two, despite your health suffering, you've never taken time to rest. And number three, you're often indecisive about what you want. Even once we retire and our children have become adults, we'll still have wants and needs to attend to. That is why it's so important to live in the present. The propensity to keep pushing until we reach the next milestone is never-ending, but we never feel fulfilled. Hence she says focusing on the present means doing what we want now, even if you don't have the means, i.e. time or money. We can negotiate for it to happen. But this doesn't mean being irresponsible. It's about accepting that circumstances are never going to be perfect, but that shouldn't stop us from doing things that make us happy. Even without a full bank account or blank calendar, we can still spend money on things we enjoy in the precious free time we do have. Part of embracing the present also includes learning to disappoint people and start saying no. We need to learn that this is okay and part of life. When you choose to say no to things that don't work for you, you also choose to treasure the things you say yes to. As you take the painful first steps down the road to putting yourself first, you could find your heart fighting with your brain. The key is to accept that this pain is normal. It's a sign that you're growing and that better things are on the way. This journey will not be without its challenges, but if you push through, you will see the light at the end of the tunnel. Nyquist found that when she chose to focus on her strengths, she was no longer weighed down by her troubles. Similarly, when you assess yourself, you shouldn't hesitate to embrace yourself for achieving things that aren't sexy or adventurous. It's about what makes you happy. After honestly assessing what you want, you'll no longer look towards external events and achievements for happiness. When you ignore your wants and needs, you lose agency over your life and you'll never feel internally fulfilled until you take back control. To do that, you need to figure out what matters to you and stick to it. Refuse to allow society or those around you dictate how you should spend your time. Moreover, you can decide what kind of legacy you want to leave behind. Legacy is embodied how you wish to spend your days on earth and how you want to be remembered. If you do something that's at odds with your desired legacy, you've lost control. This includes saying no to potentially promising opportunities that deviate, even temporarily, from your desired legacy. Unsurprisingly, the lens through which people choose to view things shapes their perception of reality. Individuals who have grown accustomed to seeing the worst in others will only find themselves disappointed. Nyquist argues that our attitudes are so powerful they serve as a form of confirmation bias. That's why she advocates for us to find our true unbiased selves. The path to a fulfilled life requires being honest and taking responsibility for our own unhappiness. She actually recommends using our envy to determine what matters to us and motivate you. As long as you continue chasing the external validation of others, you won't gain the most important thing needed to love yourself, self-trust. Even more, you'll find yourself always trying to please others and forgetting what makes you happy. 
One way to overcome this is having fun without the need to achieve anything. In the same way, you have to make figurative space in your life for the things you want to do. You have to make physical space for the things you love by getting rid of the stuff you don't. Less physical stuff means more space for the things that matter. As a Christian, Nikos believes in a God's unconditional love. But the main message is that to live a happy life, you must accept that you're worthy of unconditional love from family and friends. It's not about perfection. The next book is by management consultant Greg McKeown, who has coached at companies such as Apple, LinkedIn, Facebook and Google. He holds an MBA from Stanford University where he helped create the course Designing Life. His book Essentialism teaches you how to do better with less by saying no to things like Barr mentioned before. He here is speaking for Stanford Graduate Business School's YouTube channel. My position is that when people really get a chance to think and have the space, that they can quite easily discern between the things that are essential to them, important to them, and those things that are not. The problem is not our ability to discern, it's that we don't have the space to take the time to discern. Once we have that perspective, we can think through it. So my position is that we need to develop a routine that enables that space to think. In a world where we have so much information, we need more time to think and process it, not less. And so uh, you know, one CEO that I interviewed for the book uh, has two hours on his calendar every day, uh, broken up into half-hour segments, so that he has this space to stop, to turn everything off, to think, to see the bigger picture. I think we could all do something similar to that. The idea for many people of saying no to a senior leader, uh, to even family members and so on, is so unthinkable, they just don't even experiment with it. So they end up being a novice with no. Uh, they just want to avoid this like the plague. Uh, but what I've found is that essentialists practice and learn and develop this skill. Uh, Kay Krill is the CEO of Loft and the Ann Taylor brand. And she said that years ago, she was really bad at saying no. Uh, and somebody came to her mentor and said, look, you've got to learn to, uh, to get rid of all of these people and commitments that don't mean anything to you because they'll rob you of the things that really do. And she said that because she got that feedback, she did learn over the years how to say no, how to push back gracefully, uh, sensibly, but unapologetically. And now she says she's very good at it. And it saved her so many you know, wasted hours, wasted days, wasted commitments uh, because she actually learned to develop a repertoire for saying no. McEwen says we should be focusing on what we should do, thinking instead about what is essential to our happiness and well-being rather than filling our lives to the brim. In order to avoid drowning in unnecessary work, we need to adopt the principle of essentialism. Essentialism focuses on four main points. Do less, but do it better. The cornerstone of essentialism is the never-ending task of identifying the less important things in your life to cut out, and doing what's left over to a higher standard. Reject the notion that we should accomplish everything and choose instead specific directions in which you can excel. Essentialism isn't about making tiny progress in many directions. Instead, choose a direction and make great strides in the things that matter most to you. Constantly question yourself and update your plans accordingly. The process of deciding what's worth doing and what should be let go is ongoing. The essentialist 
is always deciding whether what she is doing is actually worth her time or if she should invest her time and energy in a more productive area. Finally, once those few vital tasks have been distilled from the trivial many, the essentialist wastes no time in ensuring that the changes are put in place. The thing is, if we become overwhelmed by our tasks, then we lose our ability to make choices for ourselves through learned helplessness. That is, becoming so used to the feeling of being overwhelmed that we approach our lives with passivity. This was seen in an experiment with dogs where electric shocks were given. Some received a lever controlling this, others also received a lever which had no effect at all. All the dogs who had the chance to stop the shock or had experienced no shock at all ran to the shock-free side. The ones whose levers were powerless, however, stayed in the shock zone and did not adapt. Hence, if we surrender our power to choose, we essentially give others permission to choose for us. When people think that their efforts are futile, they tend to respond in two ways. They either give up completely or become overly active, accepting every opportunity presented to them. Next, you may have to embrace concentrating on doing a few things very well, but also accepting trade-offs as an inherent part of life, while it might seem simple enough to cut out unimportant tasks and leave only the most vital, in practice, we just end up becoming convinced that we can do it all. McEwen says to give yourself space to escape and see the bigger picture, as it will help you pick out the vital from the trivial. Boredom can actually be good for you. A period of time in which you have nothing to do can give you an opportunity to think clearly about what things need to be done. In order to ensure that you have that time, Clear a break in your schedule every day to give yourself time to escape and to think. This will help you assess which are vital and which aren't. In order to maintain focus on what's important, essentialism teaches us to always concentrate on the bigger picture. One way to do so is by keeping a journal, but instead of writing down everything you experience, force yourself to write as little as possible. This will require you to think through everything you've done and sift out only what you consider essential. The essentialist recognises that play is also a vital tool for inspiration. It helps us to develop novel connections between ideas that we would have never otherwise considered. It is an antidote to stress, which is one of the key factors in unproductivity, and it helps us to prioritise and analyse tasks. But as important as play is, it should never take priority over rest and sleep. Sleep increases your ability to think, connect ideas, and maximise your productivity during your waking hours. One hour of sleep actually results in several more hours of higher productivity the following day. Be ruthless in cutting away things that aren't essential. One way to do so is by adopting the 90% rule. Start by considering the most important criterion for the decision you are making, giving it a score between 0 to 100 in terms of importance. Anything below 90, even an 89, would score a 0. Another method is to decide that if it isn't a clear yes, then it's a clear no. A simple way to put this into action is to list the three minimum things that something must have in order to keep it, as well as three ideal criteria that you want it to meet. Then when deciding on what to keep, something must pass the three minimum requirements as well as at least two of the ideal ones. McEwen says always remember, failing to say no to the things which aren't vital can lead you to miss out on the opportunities that truly are. Be clear about your goals by having an essential intent one main objective that is both inspirational and concrete. One way of checking whether your goal is clear is by asking yourself, how will I know when I've reached my goal? The author talks about the sunk cost bias, which is a tendency to continue investing money, time, effort and or energy 
into something we already know is unlikely to succeed. You can easily avoid this trap by developing the courage to admit your errors and mistakes and let them go. Moreover, you can avoid this entire scenario by setting clear boundaries. Boundaries are not there to constrain you, but to make your life easier and more enjoyable. Check out episode 2 on saying no. Once you've committed to the principles of essentialism, it's time to grapple with the last step, execution. Becoming an essentialist requires you to identify what's slowing you down and then eliminate it, rather than simply finding ways to work around it. In addition, you can prevent unnecessary obstacles by being prepared by having contingencies. It's all about taking small steps which helps create momentum and gives you the confidence to further succeed. But no matter what your approach, you'll need to ensure that you stick with it by designing a routine. Routines create habit, thus making difficult things become easier over time. It's therefore prudent to create a routine that aligns with your goals. So to sum up, Barr and Rocher say in 12 tiny things that to tend to the global, we must also work on strengthening the hyperlocal, the self. Hence they think about the following. Look at making space for yourself, being present in and out of work, practicing rituals to understand your small existence in the universe, eating and sharing the gift that is food, embracing your style, being captivated and grounded in nature, communicate with intention, home is where the heart is and where gratitude is, give your mind and body sensual pleasures, keep creating and learning, and the fact that you are part of a whole community. Nierquist says in Present Over Perfect that you only live one life and you should spend it honouring your true self by focusing on the present. Take control of your life by thinking about what legacy you want to leave behind and sticking to it. Stop doing things for approval, and pay attention to what matters to you. This journey to discovering your true self is not without its challenges, but your happiness is worth it, so stop operating in later. Learn to say no. Confront what makes you weak so you can be strong. Have fun, and choose happiness over perfection. McEwen says in Essentialism that in spite of how it might seem, only a few things are actually vital to our goals and well-being, and everything else is unimportant. By focusing on these few essential things and learning to do better by doing less, we can craft a life that is far more productive and fulfilling. Hence he recommends trying instead to find ways to cut things out that are trivial. I spoke to lots of people this week on Twitter Spaces and Clubhouse, who said being intentional is understanding what our fundamental values are and then aligning it in accordance to this, so making sure there's a real purpose for everything we do. I hope you enjoyed this. Please hit subscribe if you did.